are excited to welcome our missions pastor, Cameron Wright. Uh, yay. As he's coming up, I'm going to pray for him. Uh, Lord, we just pray for Pastor Cameron that he would be filled with you even more so than he already is right now, God, and that every word that comes out of his mouth, that you would um, coat it with your spirit. We want to hear you. We want to hear your voice through him. Um, and so we just ask for you to come in another level right now as he brings the word of God. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. Actually, I can't see any of you. <laughs> I can barely make out shadows uh, because of these lights. <clears throat> all right. Uh, what I'm going to share about this morning is um, something, you know, if, you, if you're around this church or if you're around our stream of uh, churches and ministries, charismatic church, if you want to call it that, is the word presence presence of God. Oh, the presence of God was so, so tangible this morning. Uh, you know, that's just a word that we uh, use. It's a, a Christianese word. Well, what does it mean? What, what is the presence? And so let me tell you a story about uh, something that happened to me uh, quite a few years ago, but it was very, very powerful. When I first got saved, I encountered God's presence and some significant ways, but then, you know, life happened, and uh, as a Christian, there was a season where, um, you know, I guess I would describe it as being dry spiritually, and, and then there was an um, opportunity where God was moving powerfully, and I remember going to these meetings, <clears throat> this big conference, and I was really hungry to experience God in a new way. And it was actually the, the final evening of meetings. I was there, and um, I lined up to receive prayer. I hadn't felt or experienced anything for the three days that I'd been in these meetings all day long. This was the last night. I was a little desperate, <laughs> really wanting something, but, you know, I don't want to fake it. Um, and as this completely unknown person was praying for me, I... I had never fallen, you know, it's called being slain in the spirit. If you're not familiar with that term, uh, nobody dies, uh, hopefully. <laughs> but it just means falling down because you experience, you know, most often it's because, you know, you experience God in a powerful way, or there's lots of different reasons why someone may do that. Um, but I had never done it. I would actually preached against it, had a fairly good theology why that should, should not happen to a spirit-filled believer. But there I was. I was a pastor. <laughs> and when this individual prayed for me, something happened. I didn't fall backward like a good charismatic. <laughs> yeah, there was someone there waiting for me. I fell forward. I'm not a small person. I don't know what happened to the guy. Maybe he got slain. I, mean, I don't know what happened for the next several hours. Because I went from laughing to weeping uncontrollably. I could not control it personally for hours. 
And while I was laying there, there'd be in between the laughter and because I would, I would, I would be laughing, and I'd go, "This is crazy. What am I laughing about?" And I'd make me start crying. Oh God! Like, why am I crying? I have no idea. But that's hilarious. And I'd start laughing, and you know, this back and forth. And at one point, I'm like, "Okay, this is done. I'm done. I'm gonna get up now." And when I try to get up, like you can't. Keep me down, right? Maybe now, but <laughs> back then, <laughs> now I'm like, I'll just stay here. <laughs> like when I wanted to get up, I'm getting up, right? I could not get off the floor, and I was face down, and very specific sensation. It was as though God had His foot on the small of my back, and He was like, No, you need to stay down for a little longer which would then make me laugh uncontrollably and lead me to weeping. Seriously, this went on for hours. I eventually rolled <laughs> over to a wall and leaned up because I was laying down on the floor for so long and to just try to gather myself. And so I had experienced a really, really powerful sensation and for years, in fact, not as much anymore, but for many, many, many years, and still occasionally, I experience pressure in the small of my back. And when I experience this unique pressure, I go, ooh, that's Holy Spirit. God's present. I, it's just an indicator light in my physical being that uh, uh, illuminates to me that, that God is manifest in some way. Maybe I'm praying for someone and I feel that pressure and I, I go for it a little further. That's, that's one way where I've experienced God's presence. Real quick, now you can't tell your story because I'm the speaker and I have the microphone. <laughs> but if you've experienced God presence of the presence of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, in a particular way. Could you just maybe one or two share, maybe it was, you know, tingling butterflies in your stomach, uh, electricity, somebody in here? Yep. Justin's belly. Wow. That's an interesting one. I hadn't heard that before. Someone from this side. Question. Bill, Bill Johnson, very famous speaker, says that uh, his primary experience, he doesn't shake or fall down as far as I know, uh, but he gets these words of knowledge, which that I would say a question like that. Something that pops into your head is like a word of knowledge. I saw a hand up. Ooh, in unison. Wow. That was the airbag. <laughs> Just joking. Now, airbags, I've never experienced what I heard. They don't, they don't feel like pillows. <laughs> tears, very common, tears, tears. Okay, so those, those are all experiences. We all, not all, but many people have similar things that they 
they connect with, uh, with experiencing God's presence. But let me ask you, are those things, is the pressure on my back, is that really God? God present? You know, is, 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 I mean, we love Justin, but when his belly heats up, and maybe it was, what did you have for breakfast, bro? All right, is, is it God or is it something else? Is it, it maybe just, just some experience? Uh, is it a physiological experience? Well, yeah. All right. Uh, when I feel pressure on the small of my back, that means there are, for whatever reason, uh, 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 signals being sent from that area of my body by way of my nervous system to my brain, indicating that there's something pressing on your back, or it feels like there's something pressing on your back. So <laughs> I actually was listening to this podcast. Uh, it was actually quite a long time ago. And uh, it was a panel of people. But one of the individuals was, a, was an atheist who had been a Christian and deconverted. <laughs> or he was going through a season of questioning his faith, let me put it that way. Uh, but it was interesting because he was explaining how uh, he, he realized that you know, all of the things that he attributed to God were, you know, he, he could answer physiologically. And the other, uh, one of the ministers, theologians that were there, uh, just simply said, well, of course. Whenever you experience God, it's not as though things aren't happening in your physical body. <laughs> right? It's not like it's separate from your neurons and hormones and cells and, and, and mind. Right? It's not an out-of-body experience. Uh, it's actually God interacting with your physical body or your physical body responding to something. But what is that something? That's what I want you to think about for a minute. And let's, let's just press into that because we're, we're a presence-based church and our movement, Harvest Alliance, is a presence-based movement. That's the thing that connects us with churches all over the world is that, that we value this type of experience. And, 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 and as Bill and Mary Lee shared a few uh, weeks ago, their value of that we're a spirit and word church. Right? It's the same idea. We, we, we value God's word, but we value God's presence, his spirit amongst us. So we need to understand this and, and understand the the balance between the natural and the spiritual. Is it, is it a physiological experience? Well, there's something physiologically happening, right, when I couldn't get off that floor. Is it just a psychological experience? You know, some people can experience some pretty incredible things, and they're just all psychological. Right? When I experienced that on the floor, was I experiencing something psychological? Absolutely. Does that mean it wasn't God? No. 
It means God was interacting with me on that level. All right? Was it, was it just an emotional experience? Now, sometimes, and this is, this is true, in fact, you know, I've, I'm pretty experienced in this area of leading not only this congregation, but uh, being uh, involved in ministries all over the world and helping lead an international network of churches that value this type of ministry that, guess what? As leaders, we know that some people are just responding emotionally. And some people are just responding psychologically. And some people are actually encountering God. And some people are actually encountering, encountering a demonic spirit. All of those things can be happening in the room at the same time. And all of them are legitimate in their own sense. And so if someone says, well, that's, that's, that's not of God, that's a demon. I'm like, well, it might be a demon, but if a demon's manifesting, it's probably of God. Because when Jesus walked the earth, demons would manifest. Right? If someone's experiencing an emotional upheaval, is that of God? Well, guess what? The most emotionally undone I've been in my life is when God's encountered me powerfully. I need my emotions undone and redone back in the right way. And so it's not one or the other, but we need to have wisdom in, it, in, in discerning what our experiences are and what we are striving and pursuing after and why. Let me tell you another story. This is a story of a guy who lived a few years before me. His name was Moses. <laughs> this is an interesting segment of Scripture. This is um, from Exodus 33. And... Uh, the, just to give you a, the context of what's going on here, um, Moses had already experienced a lot. He had uh, been born a Jew in captivity in Egypt, where the entire uh, 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 race of Hebrews, all of them, were in uh, slavery to the Egyptians. And uh, they were becoming too numerous. And so Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, had a decree that all male children would be killed. And, of course, the, uh, Moses' mom didn't want her little baby killed, so she hid him. And uh, you know, read the book. It's a great story. Put, puts him in the, ocean, in, the, in the Nile River, and he ends up getting rescued by Pharaoh's daughter <laughs> and raised in, in uh, Pharaoh's court and and educated and trained as a royal. And then, of course, he grows up. He knows he's Hebrew and, and sees uh, one of his fellow Hebrews being mistreated by an Egyptian, and he becomes enraged. And what does he do? He kills the Egyptian and then realizes, oops, now I'm going to be in trouble. And so he runs out into the wilderness. 
So he, he committed murder and then fled justice. He, he ran away and hid for 40 years in the wilderness. He's walking out, taking care of the sheep one day, and he sees this book. Now, I've been to that part of the world, and it's not uncommon to see a book. <laughs> Sounds funny, but there's this, they're just barren hills with these little shrubs. It's not like Michigan. Like everything's alive and so green. I love it. But over there, there's like a little bit of green in the valleys and these crusty old shrubs. But this shrub was burning. Now, how long did Moses watch that shrub before he went to check it out? Huh? What did he wonder? It was burning, but it didn't burn up. So in other words, it probably wasn't terribly uncommon for a bush to catch fire in the middle of the desert, a lightning strike or something like that, where somebody tosses out a cigarette. <laughs> they probably didn't have that. But he's sitting there going, that bush hasn't been burning for a while. Hmm. I don't see anybody taking care of it going on in it could have been a two hours. It could have been six hours. It could have been three days. We don't know. But eventually Moses said, I got to check this out. Something in him said, I want to know more. And so he approached it. And then what happened? God spoke to him. Take off your shoes. The place in which you stand is holy ground. Boom, major encounter with God. And then God calls him and sends him to deliver his people, uh, the Israelites, from slavery. And, and, he, and he equips him, and he, and he sends Aaron, his brother, with him, and he gives him that staff that turns into a snake, and then turns back into a staff, and he, all these amazing things. Moses had already experienced all of that. He had already experienced all of the plagues and, and rescuing the people of Israel from the most powerful power on earth that had ever been the Egyptian nation. And now they were at Mount Sinai. They'd actually been at Mount Sinai for some time. They were there, I always forget, I forgot to look it up before this, this morning, but I think they were there for a year, maybe a little longer. And this is near the end of the time. Not only had Moses experienced God on the burning, at the burning bush uh, and through all of the uh, encounters uh, that he saw in Egypt, but he had already been on, on the top of Mount Sinai. Moses had already gone up the mountain and spent time with God in God's presence and had received the Ten Commandments written by, the Bible says, the finger of God. This was the word of God inscribed by God himself on stone tablets. 
And Moses came down. And, and Joshua was waiting part, part way, and, and Moses heard a sound in the camp. Remember what the sound was? Huh? Revelry? Not the sound of war. No, wait a minute. That's the sound of singing. And while Moses was on the mountain with God, the people of God, after experiencing the deliverance from slavery, fell back into idolatry, made a golden calf, and began worshiping it. And Moses, coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, sees what happened, what, what had happened. And after spending all that time in God's presence, what did Moses do? He was overcome with anger and probably really frustrated. And I don't know, but that's probably not a good thing to do. But Moses threw the stone tablets down. Think about this. The Ten Commandments didn't make it off the mountain before all of them were broken. Like that, there's meaning to this story. Right? It really happened, but it happened because it illustrates a, an eternal truth. Is that the, the word of God, the commandments of God, actually don't have the power in and of themselves to make God's people holy. apart from the presence of God. Because when Moses was on the mountain, I'm sure he was holy. In fact, he was up there for 40 days with no food or water. His very life sustained by God's presence. But by the time he stepped out of that intensity of the presence, by the time he reached the mountain, by the time he encountered other people, bam! And he goes into a tirade, and a whole bunch of people get killed. And this is okay, that's all been settled. And now, God actually told Moses in the beginning of chapter 33, he says, you know what, you guys are so stubborn, You're, it's time to leave Sinai, I'm staying here, just go. Take the people you brought. And Moses said, wait a minute, God, it's your people. <laughs> But God says, go, I'll send my angel to be with you. And then Moses responds and uh, intercedes for God's people. And it says in uh, verse 7 through 11 of chapter 33, I'm not going to put it up on the the slide. Uh, You can look it up in your Bible. Exodus 33, 7 through 11 says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it, Uh, It says his tent, but it was actually just a tent. And and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting. Very important part. Which was outside the camp. Now remember, the camp was very organized. God told them how to camp in a very specific 
way. And in the center of the camp, they built the tabernacle of Moses, which was the place of worship with the laver and the altar and the holy place and the holy of holies. Right? That wasn't built yet, but that was he had received the instructions of how to build all of this. But this tabernacle of meeting was not part of that. It was something different. So it was whenever Moses went out, now anybody who wanted uh, counsel or sought the Lord could go to this tabernacle of meeting. But when Moses went to the tabernacle, everyone stopped and watched him. Each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord, now think about that, a pillar of cloud. I mean, you, everyone in the nation at that time could see God's manifest presence in the cloud be with Moses in the tent of meeting. And no wonder they watched it. It's like, whoa, look at that. All the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the tabernacle door. The pillar of clouds stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Tabernacle of meeting, really, is our first biblical example of a house of prayer, a place that's dedicated to prayer. It's all they did there. And it's important that it was outside of the camp. It was away from the people. You want to encounter God, sometimes you need to get away from people. You need to intentionally uh, set aside time so that you can encounter God. And it's, it's good to have a specific place. Now, God can show up anywhere. But if you have a place where you go, where you can um, nurture and cultivate both your awareness of God, but also you know that when you're in this place, you're not here to think about bills. You're not here to think about your jobs. You're not here to think about this or that. You're here to hear God. Right? And so you create a sanctuary. You create a tent of meeting. And you know what? God will show up. I think God will show up just like he did with Moses if we learn how to recognize him. I think Joshua there, you know another way to pronounce Joshua, the Greek way to pronounce Joshua, or the English way to pronounce Joshua? The Hebrew way is Yeshua. The English way is Jesus. Moses wasn't able to bring the people of God into the promised land, was he? Because he was, he represented the Old Covenant. Who led the people of God into the promised land? Yeshua. All right. 
And so we see there a, a little glimpse in the Old Testament of the New Testament fulfillment that Jesus is the one who stays in God's presence. Moses' intercession, Moses' response to God saying, go ahead, I'm not going with you, was to, was to pray. And in that face-to-face meeting, he pleaded with God. And he said, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us from here. Don't let us go. We're, basically, he was saying, we're not going anywhere, God, unless you come with us. Now, think about this. Everything Moses experienced, and he has the audacity to stand up to God and say, wait, I'm not leaving without does that say about Moses? You know what I love? I love God's response. God said to Moses, this is 33, 17, you know what? I'm going to do this thing that you have asked me. Can you believe it? What if Moses hadn't asked? What if Moses would said? Thanks for the angel, God. We're going. We wouldn't have the rest of the story. But Moses, there was something in Moses' heart. It was like, I cannot live outside of the presence. He learned something that we need to learn. God continues. I will do this thing you have spoken because you have found grace. Also some shady pages. Oh, wait a minute. This is the Old Testament. Oh, wait a minute. This is Sinai. This is when God gave the law. But the Bible says God did it because Moses found grace in his sight. Then Moses said, I pray. This is, this is the main point of the message. Moses, after God says, okay, Moses, I'll go with you because you found grace. That, that unmerited favor, that, that abiding presence, that, that, that thing that we say that we're saved by, right? Moses was saved by grace at the giving of the law. The law, the giving of the law was an act of grace. Right? There's not like two gods, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Right? The Old Testament prepared us to receive the fullness of grace, but grace was the motivation all from the beginning. And then Moses says this radical thing. He says, okay, he asked for something else. He says, great, God, thanks for that, but I got one more thing to ask for. Show me your glory. Okay. Moses had seen the glory of God in the burning bush. He had seen the glory of God in overcoming the the power of the Egyptian 
army, right? You know, the defeat of our enemies is a measure of God's glory, but not the fullness. Just overcoming your problems are good, but Moses knew there was something more. And he's like, I want the more. Show me your glory. You know what I would have said? Dude, how much do you need? You're like a glory junkie. Come on. Seriously. Who had seen more of God's glory than Moses? No one. He was on a mountain with him for 40 days. Alone. And that wasn't enough. He's like, I want to see the glory. There's more. He knew that there was more for him to experience. He said, God, I want to see your glory. And God responds. He says, I myself, this is verse 19, will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious, again, that defining attribute of God, to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And in the next chapter, in verse 34, uh, Moses goes back up the mountain after cutting two stone tablets to receive the Ten Commandments 2.0. <laughs> The second edition. Because <laughs> the first one was open. And this was the copy that remained and was put in the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, in that experience, at one point, God said, Moses, you can't experience the fullness of my glory, but I'll hide you in this cleft of the rock, and I'll, I'll remove my hand so that you can see the, the afterglow, the the." the uh, of my presence. But in describing that experience, this is what scripture says. It says the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. So this is the manifestation of God's glory. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That's God's glory. You want glory? Is glory uh, gold dust falling from the ceiling? You know, some people really get into that. Is glory <coughs> shaking or feeling pressure in the back of your back, in the small of your back? Is glory a warm sandwich? All of those things are ways our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our physiology uh, respond to an expression of God's glory. But God's glory is his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his long-suffering. Isn't that good? All of the other things, they're just dressings. They're just bling. The substance is 
are the attributes of God. Okay, a couple of questions. Why did Moses have to climb the mountain? All right, it was an actual mountain. Okay. Now, it wasn't Pike's Peak. <laughs> or K2. Or Everest. It was a manageable mountain. 2,000 feet. Is God omnipresent? Uh, right? And so, was God equally present on the bottom of that mountain as he was on the top of the mountain? Okay, if God needs to go somewhere, how long does it take for him to get there? Depends on how far away it is. <laughs> so why did Moses have to climb the mountain? get himself in the right place, not to get God in the right place. Are there mountains in your life? Maybe what you're encountering looks like a desert mountain. It wasn't a pleasant thing to do climb that mountain, especially when he was 80 years old. And he had to do it numerous times. What's the mountain you're facing? Is it financial hardship? Is it broken relationships? Is it a besetting sin that you just can't stop falling into? Is it your own self-doubt? Fear of others. What's your mountain? God's with you where you are. You might need to climb that mountain to experience a face to face experience of God, to experience God's glory in a new way. And you need to be willing. I think Moses had to put some effort into. The pursuit to show God, but probably more to show Moses. And if you're not willing to put in the effort, you're not going to get the results. If you can't read through the Bible, which is not a very big book, seriously, nowhere near as big as that Harry Potter thing or the Lord of the Rings, my word, right? If you're not willing to climb a hill, but you want a mountaintop experience with God, then climb your mountain. Did Moses have to pay a price? Yeah, he had to pay a lot. He had to give up his whole life and then lead a rebellious people for all those years. And then at the end, he was denied entry. Like, God, that's not fair. But it is fair because it's a powerful message that the law cannot bring us into the promised land, that we need the next generation. We need Jesus, Joshua, 
to bring us across into the promised land. All right. Who wants Moses' anointing? He had face-to-face encounter with God. He spoke with God, and God spoke with him like a friend speaks to his friend, like a man speaks to his friend. Who would like to see him now? I see no hands, people. Eyes are still. You don't want Moses' anointing. No. At all costs. Moses' anointing paid it. Ah, that's right. It paid it. When he was outside of that, he came down from the mountain, he was glowing. Right? But it says that his, it, it faded, his countenance. In the New Testament, we read in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9, it says, if the ministry of death, which is the law, written and engraved on stones was glorious, and it was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, right? Moses wanted to see God's glory. He experienced his glory, and that glory in part was uh, given to Moses. He actually received it and was reflecting the glory of God in a very real way. But, says they could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away? Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. All right? Moses had God's word, but outside of God's presence, that word did not have the power to communicate to transform his people. He needed the presence. He, he, Moses understood that they needed God's presence, God's spirit, and God's word equally. That's why we're a word and spirit church, right? We need the word. We need the presence. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need a glory and an anointing that doesn't fade away. And that we obtain through faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's not an external experience like Moses experienced on the mountain. It's an internal experience where God himself in the form of his Holy Spirit, Christ is birthed in us, the hope of glory. We don't have to climb a mountain, literal mountain, but we have to overcome the obstacles so that we can experience the fullness of what God has put in us. And it is meant to never fade. And we need to learn how to connect with the fullness of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Because that's what will transform us. That's what will empower us. Listen, the, 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 the main point of this is you have... Available to you and me, we have far more resources than Moses had. Think about it. Moses had two stone tablets. I have like 20 or 30 translations of God's entire Bible on my phone. Moses had the external experience of God's presence. I have the internal, the internal abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. 
whoever you are, whatever position in life you are at, you have access to, to exponentially more power and presence than Moses could ever dream of. I just ask you, Moses led a nation into freedom. Who are you leading? What are you doing with all that God's given you? What are you doing? And I challenge you to do something. Do something. Don't compare yourself to Moses or anybody else. Do what God's called you. Put in the effort. Climb the mountain. Depend on the presence. And you'll see God's glory in a way that transforms your life. Corey's going to come up and close the service. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Wow. Hmm. Climb your mountain. I feel like there's there's a few different groups of us here in this room. There's some of us who have never actually engaged with the mountain at all. In fact, maybe there's someone here who um, wants to commit or recommit their life to the Lord to say, you know what? I'm tired of like looking at that mountain or like just pretending it's not there and like running away from that mountain. Like I'm ready to engage in the journey that you have before me, Lord, because I believe you are who you said you are. And so when I believe, that means I have to start taking those steps. So that's one group that we might be in of like, I'm ready to stop just looking at the mountain or ignoring the mountain, but I'm ready to engage with the mountain. And you can come at that from engaging with faith for the first time. We have a prayer team that will be coming up and they would love to pray with you about that, to help you take that next step to engage in becoming one of our family of believers. Or also for the next group is I have been, I, I am a believer. I know that you're real, but I have been avoiding the mountain journey or I've been frustrated because we've gone up that mountain already. And now you're telling me I have to go up it again and again and again. <laughs> that's really hard. But if that's part of the journey God has for you, there's a reason he has something different, something new or something he wants to confirm in you again at the top of that mountain. And so our prayer team would also love to pray with you about that. Um, and I just love that we actually have that access. Like we get to remember that one of the um, lyrics of the worship songs that we sing was that you tore the veil. And that was talking about how there was a veil that separated the presence of God from the people in the temple. And when Jesus died on the cross, you can read this in the New Testament, when he died, miraculously that veil was torn and it gave us access. This is exactly what it, Pastor Cameron was talking about. We have that access now, right here, right now, wherever we are, to invite and engage with the presence of God. So there's both those mountain experiences that we can go towards, but there's also a different understanding and level of I carry the presence of God with me right now. And Pastor Cameron encouraged us to pursue both of those today. So let's pray now, and then we can pray in a minute if you want to come up to the prayer team. God, we just ask that you would reveal to us what that mountain is, where you would have us climb. And God, we say corporately, we say for ourselves, but also for the person next to us, that we trust you in the process of climbing the mountain, God. I trust you, God, as I climb the mountain. And I believe that you have good things ahead for me 
And I believe it for someone near me who might be dealing with a lot of doubt about that. God, I pray that in this room, you would move with that corporate act of faith, of believing and agreeing, and that we would take the physical step to go to someone and get prayer, to open up the Bible that we haven't opened, to um, listen to worship in a time when we would normally listen to something else, to make some active faith steps to move towards that climb. Lord and Holy Spirit, I invite you to come in and tear down those obstacles in our hearts and in our lives so that we can pursue you fully, so that we can journey up this mountain full of hope and expectation because you are coming to meet us. You are there. You are ready and you are waiting. You've invited us up. So we choose to say yes to you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.